Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. This is God's word. Let me pray before we continue. God, thank you for this word. Thank you for this place and this time that we can come and meditate on this interaction between you and Peter. We pray, God, that you would please help us to understand what this means. Help us to apply this to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as as I mentioned, there's four things that I think are missing from this passage, and I want to look at this passage by evaluating those four things and what it teaches us about God, how God handles our failures. The first thing that doesn't happen in this passage is that Peter doesn't disqualify himself. He doesn't give up. Now, it's not to say that he wasn't very close to giving up. After all, it says he went back fishing. And, you know, before Jesus called him, his name was Simon, and he was a fisherman. And Jesus called him and he said, I'm going to change your name to Peter, which in Greek means the rock, which was an ironic name because Simon was a very impetuous, impulsive character. And he says, I'm going to call you the rock, you know, the, the steady one. And he left, to be a, left being a fisherman, and he went to follow Jesus. But now, now that he's betrayed and abandoned Jesus and let him down, he's just gone back to the one thing that he knows how to do well, and that's fish. You know, it's like, I've screwed everything else up. I may as well go, go back fishing. But he hasn't given up. He hasn't given up. And we know that because it's not like Judas Judas also betrayed Jesus. He let him down, selling him out for 30 pieces of silver. But then Matthew 27 tells us what happened to Judas. When Judas, who, was, who had betrayed Jesus, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse, and he returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I've sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left, and then he went away and hanged himself. So Judas, like Peter, is seized with remorse over what he's done. But the guilt is so heavy upon Judas that he goes ahead and he kills himself. And if you've ever considered suicide, you know that feeling of hopelessness, that nothing good can come out of the mistakes that you've made of your life, that there's no hope left, that the world might be a better place if you weren't in it anymore. And that's the choice that Judas made. But Peter... As devastated as he is by what he's done, by how he's let down Jesus, he doesn't give up. He's close to it. He goes back fishing. The only thing he knows how to do well, but he doesn't disqualify himself. And as we're going to see, there's always hope. That as bad as it had gotten for Peter, he was open to the grace of God. He was open to Jesus' grace. And so when Jesus came to him, he was able to receive that grace and to put the past behind him. And I want to encourage you 
to not disqualify yourself in whatever you have gone through, whatever failings you've gone through, however you feel like you've just blown it and fallen short. Don't give up. Do not disqualify yourself. There's always grace. God is always working for good. Two of the passages that I hang on to in times like that. The first is 1 John 1, 9, which says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a promise that no matter what you've done, when you turn to God, there's always forgiveness. There's always grace. And then Romans 8, 28 to 29, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. It's a promise that no matter what you've done, no matter how bad you think you've screwed up, that it's not beyond God. It's not beyond his grace. That he is able to take anything that we have done and bring good out of it. So do not give up. Do not disqualify yourself. No matter how devastated you may feel, no matter how bad you may feel about what you've done, do not give up. That's the first thing we learn from this passage. The first thing that's missing is that Peter doesn't give up. He doesn't disqualify himself. The second thing that's missing from this passage is that Jesus never says that Peter's failure is no big deal. He never says that Peter's failure, his denial that he even knew him, was no big deal. Maybe some of you are the no big deal type. That's the type that I often am. You know, People do things like, ah, no big deal. You know, I, I, when I was the youth pastor of this church, we had some large young men who were part of the youth group, and uh, we met in my house for the youth group. And by my count, the amount of things that were broken in my house during the youth group that met at my house, 15 folding chairs, I've got the list here, 15 folding chairs, a couch, two windows, a closet door, a spatula, and the struts in my car as well. And every time my response is, you know, don't worry about it, it's no big deal because that's just the kind of guy I tend to be. Just don't worry about it. It's no big deal. But Jesus doesn't handle Peter's failure that way. He doesn't say, hey, you know what, Peter? It's all right. We're all human. We all make mistakes. It's no big deal. Because Peter's failure was a big deal, and his denial of Jesus was was sin. It was a failure. And we know Jesus takes it seriously by look at just how he asks the question. He says this, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? First of all, what does he name him? What does he call him? Simon. He doesn't call him Peter. He doesn't call him the rock. Because right now there's a little, is a, you know, there's a doubt as to whether he's much of a rock right now. He calls him Simon. And he asks him, do you love me more than these, more than anything else? Do you love me? Because right now there's reason to doubt his love for Jesus. Do you love me? At that last supper, Peter was like, Wherever you go, whatever happens, I'm there with you. I will not let you down. I am willing to die with you. But now, on the other side, he is humbled. He has betrayed Jesus, denied knowing him. And he asks him, do you love me? I mean, sin is a big deal to God. (laughs) If there's any doubt, Jesus just died for Peter's sins. He just got out of the tomb. It's not a no big deal thing. And when we fail, when we sin, when we've hurt God, hurt others, it's not that it's just a no big deal to God. And I don't think it does God, I think it does us a disservice if we just say, treat it as no big deal. No, that is a sin that Jesus had to die for. When we hurt others, 
where we've messed up, when we've done something terrible, Jesus had to die for that sin. It does a disservice if we just treat it like it's no big deal. It is sin. It is a failure. It is something that Jesus had to die for. And here's Peter with the one who just died for his sins. It does no good to downplay it. So the second thing is this. Jesus never says that Peter's failure is no big deal. He questions him, do you love me? But that's not the only thing missing from this passage. The third thing missing from this passage is that Jesus never brings up Peter's failure. You know, you might have expected him to be like, listen, Peter, remember how you told me that you were going to follow me to the death? What happened there? What happened there? You had the opportunity. People were asking you, hey, weren't you with Jesus? And every time you're like, I don't know the guy. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't bring up his failures and throw it in his face. Instead, he asks him the same question three times. Do you love me? Three times he asks him, do you love me? And it's amazing. It's fascinating to me what happens. It's like a knife cutting through to Peter's heart. Three times Peter denied knowing Jesus. Three times Jesus asks him, do you love me? Do you love me? And do you love me? And by the last one, what does it say? Peter was hurt. He was hurt that Jesus asked him again. And he says, Lord, you know all things. and You know that I love you. It's like, as he asks him three times, it's like Peter, this knife is cut to his heart and it reveals what's in there. And Peter realizes, yes, I love you, Jesus. And you know all things. You know that I love you. Yeah, I failed. Yeah, I betrayed you. Yeah, I denied knowing you. But you know my heart. You know I love you. Jesus never even had to bring up his failure. Didn't he have to throw it in his face? He just asked him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And it revealed, you know what? I do love you. You know my heart, and you know I love you. It makes me think of Romans 2, 4, where Peter, uh, Paul writes this. He says, it's, don't you realize that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance? You know? It's not shaming and guilting. It's not throwing things in your face. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the love of God. It's the grace of God. He doesn't highlight his failures. He doesn't throw it in Peter's face. He goes after Peter's heart. He says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He knows that that's what Peter needs more than anything, is to be reminded, you love me, and I know that you love me. More than these, more than anything else, more than your own life. Yeah, you failed. Yeah, I just had to die for that sin, but I know your heart, and I know that you love me. So the last thing that's missing from this passage, and this is the one that I really hope sinks into your heart this morning. Let this one sink deeply into your heart. Let it never leave. Because we've already learned what's missing. Peter doesn't disqualify himself. He does not give up. He stays open to the grace of God. Jesus never says that his failure is no big deal, but he never brings it up and throws it in his face either. But the last thing that we don't see is this, that Jesus does not disqualify Peter. Jesus had every right to sit Peter down and be like, you know what? I gave you a position of leadership, Peter. What did you do with it? You blew it. You blew it big time. You know what? I'm going to go somewhere else. Thank you for trying. Thank you for following me. But you know what? I'm going to find someone better. He doesn't say that. He doesn't even say, Peter, you know what? You blew it, and it's going to take a while before I can trust you again. So you have to take a back seat for a while. Instead, he says, do you love me? Feed my sheep. 
Go pastor my people. It's a metaphor for go and care for my people. Do you love me? Then go. Get back up. Get out there from what you've just learned from this and go and serve me and lead and pastor. He doesn't disqualify him. Even Peter's bold promise at the Last Supper that, you know what, I'm going to be willing to die with you. He even ends this section by saying, you know what, one day that's the way it's going to be. When you're old, people are going to take you where you don't want to go. Eventually, Peter is going to be crucified like Jesus, but he's going to be crucified upside down as the legend goes because he said he wasn't worthy of being crucified like his Lord. He winds up being killed by being crucified upside down. Listen carefully. When you are screwing up, when there's a failure, when you have sinned, when, when that's happening in your life, there's a battle that rages over you. There's this chilling passage at the Last Supper in Luke's account, Luke 22, 31 to 32. Jesus says this to Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Just brings chills to me when I read that. He looks at Peter and he says, you know what? You are gonna, you're going to blow it big time. You're going to deny knowing me three times. And Satan, the enemy, he is asked to sift you as wheat. And you don't need to understand farming metaphors to understand what he's saying there, right? Satan wants to take you out. He wants to use this failure to take you out. But I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. Do you understand? Have you ever felt that battle that goes over? When you have given into that addiction again and again, when you have hurt the ones you love again and again, when you have done things that you cannot believe that you were ever capable of doing, have you ever, you know, doesn't have to be an audible voice, but have you ever felt what's going on here, what Jesus is talking about? That there is an enemy who is just trying to convince you that you are a miserable failure, an excuse, poor excuse for a human being or for a Christian? That there is an enemy who wants to do everything in his power to just destroy and disqualify you, to convince you that you need to sit it out and stay on the sidelines for the rest of your life or for at least for a very long time. That there is a battle that rages over your soul every time you fail. That there is an enemy who wants to sift you as wheat, who wants to disqualify you and take you out. This is Jesus saying, Simon, I have prayed for you your faith would not fail. When you turn back, strengthen your brothers. There's an enemy who wants to take you out. Do not disqualify yourself because God is a God of infinite forgiveness and mercy and grace. Remember, the Bible is not a book of moral examples, right? It's not a book that you read in like Aesop's fables to learn lessons, you know? It's a story of a God who uses men and women who just continually screw up, who don't deserve his grace, who continually resist it, who don't appreciate it once they have it. You go down the list and you read the stories of Abraham and Moses and David and all these men and women of the faith, and you look at them and you just see like, wait, <laughs> these aren't the heroes of the faith that I was taught in Sunday school. You know, these guys and these gals just... They made a mess of things, and yet somehow God still showed them grace and mercy and used them for his glory to serve others, to save the world. 
God loves to use screw-ups like us, failures like you and me, people who don't have it all together, who continually struggle. I know that Peter went through this, and you can bet that he learned humility through this, right? You know, he learned, wow, like all these boasts that I've made about like, I'll follow you to the death, Jesus. I am sure he learned some humility from this. You know what? I need God a lot more than I thought. I need to rely on him a lot more than I thought because I am so full of fear and cowardice and anxiety. And when push came to shove, I denied knowing him. But I want to encourage you this morning. You're going to fail. You're going to screw up. You're going to fall short. Don't give up. Do not disqualify yourself. Jesus died for that sin. And he does not disqualify you. And even if there's an enemy who wants to take you out, just, again, fall on his mercy. Turn back to him. He turns everything together. He works everything together for good. So I want to tell you a story. It's one of my favorite stories from my own life that uh, I've told probably every three years here. So if you've been around, you've heard it before. But for some of you, it'll be new. So... It goes back to the time when I was in college. And at the end of every school year, I always found myself particularly depressed because uh, every fall I'd come in with high hopes. I really wanted to make a difference for Jesus. You know, I really wanted to, to just be able to share about his love, about the gospel. And I always, by the end of the year, looked back and felt like I had made absolutely no difference. Um, just felt like a miserable failure. And so by the end of every school year, I just was really discouraged and depressed. And at the end of my senior year, I was particularly discouraged and depressed, feeling like, had I made any difference? You know, was anything any better for me having been there? I felt like I had failed God. I felt like I had just again and again, like Peter, just when push came to shove, just given into anxieties and fears and just denied knowing him. So End of my senior year, exams were over. Everyone had gone home except for the seniors who were waiting for graduation. I was walking across campus back to my dorm, and this woman came up to me, and she stopped me, and she said that she was from the Daily Campus, which was the, uh, the newspaper. I found an image of it. It was the newspaper at UConn, the Daily Campus, and she wanted to ask me a question for Husky Talk. Now, the Daily Campus is the school paper, and Husky Talk was typically the first thing that everyone turned to when they got the Daily Campus. Husky Talk was in the middle, and typically there was a question, and three people had been interviewed and would give an answer to that question. And usually, you know, it was a question like, what are you doing for spring break, or what's the most embarrassing thing you've ever done? And, you know, more often than not, there were some sexual innuendos in there, just, you know, people just trying to be funny. Um, And I had never been interviewed for Husky Talk in my four years there. But this lady came, and she said, I want to interview you for the graduation edition of Husky Talk. This is the edition that's going to go out to every single graduating person and all the families that arrive there. So the question she asked me was this, now that you are graduating, what do you hope to do with your life? So here I am, you know, about to give an answer that's going to be read by every single, you know, individual who's there for graduation. And I already knew what I was going to do as far as after graduation. I'd been hired actually as the youth pastor of this church. So I knew at least as a job what I was going to be doing. And I knew, you know, that's, that's what I wanted to do with my life was to serve God and all that. But do I, could I really say that, you know? I was just trying to think of something funny to say. I struggled. I kind of went back and forth. And then finally I said, all right, I got it. I said, 
I want to love God with all that I am, and I want to love those around me. I said, that's it? I said, yeah, that's it. I said, okay. She wrote that down, and she left. And I went back to my dorm feeling very exposed, very nervous, very anxious. But I also felt like, you know what, maybe God has given me an opportunity here to kind of redeem my mistakes and the ways that I've just fallen short over the years. So the day of graduation came, and I went to uh, Gample Pavilion. I was eagerly and nervously awaiting for the daily campus to come. And then I looked, and I saw some people reading. And I got up, and I grabbed one. And I opened up to Husky Talk, and there were six people listed. And there was the question, now that you're graduating, what are you hoping to do? And there were some serious ones, like someone who said, I want to be a lawyer, and someone else who said, I want to follow Van Halen, (laughs) you know. And then I looked, and and my answer was not in there. And she had left mine out. And part of me felt relief that I hadn't been exposed like that, but part of me just really felt disappointed, like, wait, I thought you were giving me an opportunity here to kind of redeem myself, you know, for all the screw-ups and all the mistakes, and then as I sat there, it, it kind of dawned on me there, and I just felt like it wasn't for anyone else. That moment wasn't for anyone else to hear. That was God, you know? That was God asking me, do you love me? Do you love me? <laughs> do you love me? And it wasn't that anyone else needed to hear that. It was just that, you know, he knew my heart. And he knew that I love him. So I just want to encourage you this morning. What do you hear in your heart? You know, to that question. When God asks you, do you love me? What's revealed in there? You know, do you hear, well, I think you're a good teacher, you know, and I think there's a lot of wisdom there. That's not the question. The question is, do you love me? Well, you know, I don't want to go to hell. That's not the question. The question is, do you love me? But God, I've failed you so many times, and I just can't measure up, and I just can never seem to get there. It's not the question. The question is, do you love me? Do you know his love? Or is there just confusion in there? Is there something else in there? Do you not know what it means to love God, to be loved by him? If you know this, if you love him, I want to encourage you. He knows your heart. He knows all things. He knows that deep down, underneath all the failures and the confusion and the anxieties and all of that, he knows your heart. He knows that you love him. That you're forgiven. that there is grace over you. And if you don't understand this, if you do not know what it means to love and be loved by God, then ask him this morning to reveal himself to you, to draw you into that kind of relationship with him. That's what he's after is your heart. He's after your heart. Let me close in prayer. Lord, I love you, and I thank you for your mercy and your grace. You have never treated me as I deserve. You've always given me so much more than I deserve. Not because of what I deserve, because of Jesus. 
Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in this room and those who are worshiping from a distance. And God, I pray that you would speak to their hearts, that you would lead them to a deeper understanding of your love for them, your grace that is over them. Lord, I know that there is an enemy whose desire is to sift us like wheat, to take us out of the game, to disqualify us, to convince us that we are miserable failures and excuses for human beings, for Christians, that we just need to sit on the sidelines until we have our acts together. But God, I know I'm never going to have my act together. And we're never going to reach the point where we're somehow cleaned up and ready. Lord, your grace is sufficient for us. Your power is made perfect in our weakness. So send us out, Lord, to feed your sheep, to care for your people, to care for this world, to love others with the grace and love that you pour into our hearts. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.